Thank you, Taylor. As my mentor said, just doing what's expected of me. But why do I do what's expected of me? And that's what we're here to talk about, right? What I live for, me. Um, basically, in your handout you received, you have two passages and a, uh, a little saying there. This is from the Westminster Baptist, whatever, Confession of Faith for you theologians. You may know what I'm talking about. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But it's uh, to glorify God, basically to bring glory to his kingdom, to further his kingdom, and be you and enjoy him forever. There's two problems to that, though. And the first one we just got through, through uh, singing about. Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? It's easy to do. We sing it in church all the time. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name. You know, what does it say? I actually brought up my little song sheet here because I was checking this out. It says, blessed be the name of the Lord in the land that is plentiful. Well, that's easy. Where the streams of abundance flow. But then it changes course. When I'm found in the desert place, though I walk in the wilderness, blessed be your name. On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain, pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Let me ask you a question. And this is a question I have for myself too. Can you really say that? Can we really say, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering? And some of you, by the grace and goodness of God, the answer is yes. Sometimes, and sometimes no. But why is it yes? If you look in the key verse there, it's Romans 12.1. It said, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our second problem, by the way to glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. And if you missed it, because I'm not always so clear, the first one is, how can you say, blessed be the name of the Lord when the road's marked with suffering? And the second one is, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What do you really hear there when I ask that? And I'm not really asking you, it's rhetorical. But I'll tell you what I hear. I hear... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing and acceptable to God. I hear, I got to get out there and do. I got to change. I got to be good enough. I got to get my life under control. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. I don't know if you've ever gone to a seminar about biblical wisdom or good living or read a book on how you're supposed to apply this or how your life should be better at this and all you do is walk away with this tremendous weight of I can't do this. So I guess what we should talk about rather than what I live for is what I live by. 
And what I mean that is what powers me and you. And that is the gospel, the good news of God's grace. And um, there's two types of listeners here. One is, is you've been walking with God for a while and you, you know the good news, you, you know the gospel, you understand it, and it's really impacted your life. Um, the other listener has, is investigating what this means to follow God. Is trying to figure out how this applies to their life. What does church matter? And both of you are welcome here. If you are new to church life, please just listen. Just just sit back, relax, and listen. Take it in. Understand what the Bible says about our place and who God is. If you've been walking with God for a long time... And you find yourself, and believe me, we all find ourselves in this position from time to time. I know I do. If you find yourself weary of doing good, the Bible sometimes says, let us, or the Bible says, not sometimes, uh, let us not grow weary in doing good. But I grow weary sometimes. Or sometimes I end up leaning so much on my own self-reliance to change. And it turns into a grind. Or I find myself at a crossway where I realize this is, I know this is what God wants me to do and this is what I want to do. And it really, really feels like I'm getting ripped off when I do what God wants me to do. A friend of mine once said it's almost, God sometimes can almost appear like a big bully who's going to get his way in my life whether I like it or not. I'm sure we've all felt that way from time to time. And it's hard. But what I, my goal today, if I have any goal today, and this isn't really going to be kind of a how-to sermon, which I love. I love how-to sermons. But today is going to be a little different. We're outside. We're, we've been worshiping God. It's going to be more of a devotion whatever, devotional, is that the right word? Type service. And if I have any goal today, well, my goal would be is to soften your heart toward God and toward Jesus and to be refreshed and reminded of the gospel and to be refreshed to follow Him for Him. See, a question we all have to ask ourselves, and I ask myself this all the time. Well, not all the time, but not like I'm walking around every day asking myself this question. But I've asked myself this many times. Am I in this thing, meaning this, the Christian walk, am I in this to make my life better? Or am I in this thing for Jesus? Am I in this thing to make my life better, or am I in this thing for Jesus? And sometimes my motivation is I'm in this thing to make my life better. And that's usually when I hit a wall. Not because God's mad at me or anything, but because my motivation is wrong. Let's imagine you have a child, okay? And you come to your child, and you ask your child to do something that's very difficult. Follow me. 
follow me in this, doing what's right. Follow me. Obey me. Yes, there is times where they, they need to listen because it's very dangerous. And however I can get them to listen is how I'm going to get them to listen because it's dangerous. But boy, they're much more apt to internalize and really truly pay attention to my words if they truly believe I like and love them. If I've won their hearts. The greatest commandment, when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he put the one between you and God first. Because there's an understanding there that if your relationship is of love between you and God, you'll be far equipped to love your neighbor as yourself. C.S. Lewis used to look at um, all the writings in Psalms where it says, praise God, praise God, praise God. Almost like a command to praise God, a command to praise God. And he used to think of God as like this kind of self-exalting, like egomaniac, okay? And which, you know, in all reality, God has the right to be that. But what he then discovered is that the reason God's commanding that is because he understands that our only way to truly live a life devoted to him is if it's a life lived out of praise and worship of God. If we love him. So, why do we do the things we do? You know, um, I haven't lived long. I'm only 38. But I've lived long enough to understand that um, this isn't just a fad in my life, this Christian thing. And I've seen people ahead of me who've been much more faithful and for much more longer if that's a word, for a longer period of time. And they do it because they love Jesus. Every time my old pastor used to preach, and any time he got to a place where he would talk about what God has done in his life, he would constantly start to cry. Because he was grateful. So what am I grateful for? Let's, 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 re, let's rehearse, revisit the gospel. The reality is, okay, God is angry with mankind. Now, this isn't a message on why God is angry. And if you don't know why God is angry, if you don't know, I'm not mad at you, you're not in trouble, it doesn't mean you're, you're illiterate in the things of God. But if you truly don't know and understand and believe why God is angry, and has poured out his wrath on mankind, please look it up. Research it. Talk to people. I'll talk to you about it. Study the scriptures about it. Read books about it. You need to understand why God is angry. You really need to know this. And I I, I implore you, I beg of you, understand that we have a wrathful God coming against us. There is no greater force, as John Piper said once, there is no greater force in this world, in this universe, than to have a God, the God Almighty, come against you with His wrath.
And that is where we find ourselves. But there's something else that exists inside God. And that is His love and His desire to forgive. He has grace. Grace is defined as unmerited favor. Favor that you do not deserve and can't deserve. That is grace. And God is extending that to us through Jesus. Most religions, if you really, really get to the heart of what they are, it's man trying to seek God and be worthy of God. Christianity is God desperately seeking out man in the midst of his wrath for man. See, we have two conditions. We have a legal condition where we are condemned to his wrath because of our sin. And again, we're not, this isn't a sermon on why that is. That just did. You've got to believe me on it. And then we have another condition. It's a moral condition where we just can't seem to get our act together. We just can't seem to get our act together. We just can't seem to, to do good all the time. Not just do good for the sake of doing good. We just can't seem to treat people right. We just can't seem to make good decisions and stick with the right things that are good for us. We can't even eat right all the time. And just when we think we have things together, something, something in our life crashes. Finances, disease, trouble at work, death, divorce. It's really sad. You can get really depressed if you keep focusing there. I can. But something else exists inside God. And he came down as the propitiation for your sins, for our sins. He exchanged himself, Jesus. Rather than, see, Jesus didn't just talk God out of his wrath. God wasn't just talked out of his wrath for you, for me. It was satisfied in Jesus. He fulfilled the perfect law, the perfect life. He satisfied our judgment. When God looks at your life, He looks at the life of Jesus and counts it as your righteousness. Romans 8.1, you have it in your handout. It said, for therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. You are clean. You are clean. You are free. The song just said, I am set free. You are set free free see basically what happens is is God's wrath is coming down but God's grace cuts off his wrath do you get the picture it just cuts it off and stops it and both those things are inside God it's actually a really amazing thing if you think about it. See, God couldn't just be like, oh, I'll forgive him. I'll forgive him. And the reason he couldn't say it, if he could just say, oh, I'll forgive him, I'll forgive him, without, 
his wrath being satisfied? Then what about the people you've wronged? Where's their justice? When King David, we've talked about this before, but when King David had Bathsheba's husband murdered to cover up his own sin of sleeping with his wife, and God just says, oh, forgive him. How could the parents of Uriah, I think that's his name, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, how could the parents of him say, oh, I like this God who forgives the king who murders our son? Are you tracking me on that? His wrath had to be satisfied. And it was. I love, I love the gospel. I love it. For, for about six months, there was a time in my life I was really struggling with, wondering if God really, truly liked me and loved me and was on my side. And for a long time, I carried around this checklist. I, had, I don't know if checklist is the right word, but I carried around this list that I put on the dashboard of my car. And it basically just, every morning, I would go through the tenets of the gospel and understanding what really is happening, the right scriptures to meditate on and think on. And I'll tell you, the power, the Bible says there is power in the gospel to change our lives. So, because of this great love and this great change, we don't have to clean up our lives. We don't have to clean up our lives. Now, one of the things that we're really big on in this church, and I am 100% for this, is applying biblical wisdom to our lives. And it is very, very important to get into the Scriptures, understand how it applies to life, and do it. But if that's all you do, you're going to be frustrated. You have got to do it with the right motivation. You've got to do it with the knowledge and the understanding that you are Set free, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You have got to do it for a love for a God who forgave you despite His His wrath towards you. You have got to... Well, let me just get to my application part here because I'm jumping ahead of myself. So the verse, in view of God's mercy. It really says, in view. Some translations say, by His mercy. In view... In view of God's mercy. Let that be the louder sentence in that verse. In view of God's mercy. Because you were had His wrath against you, because you were condemned to hell, and you were rescued and saved and you were made perfect and clean in Him, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. Now, what we haven't talked about, all we've talked about today is this legal side of it, our condition. 
our, our the legal side, how, how we're under God's wrath. Now, there is a moral side we talked about, too. And that's really where the biblical wisdom comes in. We do have a moral problem, and that does need to be fixed and worked on. And that's called sanctification, if you're not aware of that word. It's called, the first part, where God saves us, is called justification. We're justified. The cleaning up your life over many, many, many years, which we don't do, God does. We just don't know it. It seems like we're doing it. It's called sanctification. Pay attention to that part, because there's a lot of consequences in the here and now, to not paying attention to that. But understand, as you're pursuing, with His help, sanctification, there is no condemnation. So in view of God's mercy, we have the heart attitudes here. If you're new to our church, what I'm going to be talking from are the heart attitudes, and they're basically the core values of what we all agreed to to live by. And they're based on the one another's in Scripture. But in view of God's mercy... I can put the goals and interests of others above my own. In view of God's mercy, I can live an honest and open life. In view of God's mercy, I can give and receive scriptural correction. In view of God's mercy, I can participate in the ministry of the church. In view of God's mercy, I can humble myself. And go to my wife when I've wronged her, when we've gotten into an argument. And where I really think I'm right. Where I really think I'm right. I can go to her and say, you know what, I've wronged you. And I'm sorry, please forgive me. And not worry about her side of it. In view of God's mercy. Does that make sense? In view of God's mercy, we can serve when it's really hard, when we're tired and someone needs our help. We can speak truth when it's very hard to one another out of love for one another. We can take the time to not let a relationship slip away and try to clear it up, those hard talks to clear up a relationship. We can humble ourselves and admit we're wrong because God has been so good to us. Don't grow weary in doing good. Please don't grow weary in doing good. If you find yourself burnt out, if you find yourself weary... If you find yourself stuck, if you find yourself bitter, come back to the gospel. Focus on it. Meditate on it. Let it be your motivation for walking with God. Don't try to change. Don't try to get sanctified. Don't try to clean up your life without this being your motivation. You'll only find yourself frustrated. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And the ushers are going to get ready to receive the offering and your connection cards. If you came prepared to give, you can give. 
Um, we are a member and a tender-supported church, and we really appreciate your offerings. Um, but if you're a guest here, um, please don't feel obligated to give. Let me pray for us real quick. Dear Lord, we just come to you with thanksgiving for what you've done, Lord. Lord, we, as the song says, Lord, who are we that you would be mindful of us, God? Who are we that you would be mindful of us, Lord? And I really thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for being mindful of us, Lord. Lord, remind us of your grace. Remind us of how much you truly care, Lord. Fill us with your spirit in that way, Lord, and begin to work on our hearts, Lord, and begin to change us, Lord, in a way that's pleasing to you and also is life-giving to ourselves and those around us, Lord. Lord, life is hard. Making good choices is hard, Lord. Being kind and right towards people is hard. Lord, I find myself every day just wanting to get people in line with what I want them to do, Lord. That's not the right motivation, Lord. So I need your help for that, Lord, and we all need your help for that, Lord. We knew our strength, Lord, with your grace and your power, Lord. Lord, help us not to become reliant upon our own good personalities, or, Lord, not even to become reliant upon such a good community of faith, Lord, but to become reliant upon you and who you are. Lord, there's nothing else on this earth that is worth pursuing, but all else will let us down, all else leads to death, Lord. So, Lord, help us to find you.